Welcome to the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast. I'm your host, Emily. I am a Kentucky native, now Boston-based artist, researcher, spirituality, and creativity teacher. I'm here to share with you stories and conversations that explore the sometimes subtle, sometimes epic ways that we as people discover our voices and begin consciously creating lives filled with meaning and expression. Powerful stories bridge the gaps between intellect and heart, between mundane and divine, between fantastical and practical. And I'm so excited to have you here sharing this space and being part of these conversations. Let's begin. Hello and welcome back to the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast. I'm so pumped to have you here today and to be back on recording a new episode. (laughs) I suppose this episode is not a new episode. This is actually a very old episode. It was recorded last year among me and a couple of my friends. One of the guests that I have on today, Fanny Le Boulangier. I know, Fanny, I have said your last name wrong. <laughs> You're going to have to correct it at some point. And actually, you all can listen to Fanny um, talk about desire and sex and pleasure on her podcast, Sexified Life, which will be linked in the show notes. So I have Fanny and I have Eva. And we today are discussing the topic of taboo and what it feels like to be dealing with taboo topics in our life and also what it means to be like a person who is interested in creating some type of justice or um, some type of how we how do we say Well, for Fani, pleasure. (laughs) Healing. That's the word I was looking for. Some type of healing around things that society is uncomfortable discussing. Indeed, the definition of taboo is something on which there is a social prohibition. So this is not a religious prohibition. Well, sometimes it can be because religious is a type of social institution. Um, This is not a governmental prohibition. This is a social prohibition. For example, like it's taboo to bring up money while talking to someone or it's like like a no-no thing. Like it's things that you just simply do not do. And for any of you who have experienced other cultures, lived or worked in other countries outside of your own, Oftentimes you find out social taboos by accidentally <laughs> by accidentally embodying that taboo. So we're also going to talk a little bit in this about how we um, approach our own like self-love and self-healing and being uh, holding ourselves in like grace and kindness as we come forward and represent these elements of society with people. I know for me, especially, um, you've heard me talk about this on the podcast before, but like coming out to people and um, I want to say admitting, not only admitting, but also like not necessarily marketing, but offering a service around being psychic or having gifts that are intuitive is also a taboo that I have been working through and working around. And if you're out there and you're also an intuitive or perhaps you're also somebody who does spiritual work or has spiritual interests, sometimes it can be like difficult to share those things with other people. I remember um, when I got really into spirituality, I sat down with my best friend, Colin. I love you so much. (laughs) I don't know if you listen to the podcast or not, but hey girl. 
Um, we're overdue for a phone call. <laughs> Anyhow, I sat down with my BFF, Colin, and I was like, I know it's going to sound crazy, but I've been taking these meditation classes and I had these really weird things happen and I feel like I'm going insane and please don't judge me for it. <laughs> please don't think I'm weird and never talk to me again because that's how um, afraid of being seen as uh, crazy or being seen as extra or being seen mostly as a liar and I, I feel like truth is one of my core values and one of my highest values. And I also feel like because of the nature of spirituality involving the unseen and because many times what you are bringing through or what you're working with is initially on the surface, like not provable, right? Uh, people tend to call like psychics, mediums, intuitives, frauds. And that dealing with that level of like suspicion and doubt is vulnerable and difficult. Now, I, you heard me just say that you can't prove these things, but there, there are ways. <laughs> Actually, there's a lot of really interesting research that another podcast that I love, um, Where Is My Mind, talks about um, what psychologists are finding in terms of what it's like permissible for our awareness to be able to contact or to be able to know and they're finding that some not all psychic phenomenon are coming in at above average on like random coincidence so if they do a study they would expect that if you were taking a random guess you would be right a certain percentage of the time and they're finding that people who are intuitives or who say that they have gifts or who have worked on their gifts are actually coming in at a much higher rate than that essentially even in triple blind studies proving that intuitive phenomenon are real and do exist and if you're interested I would be happy to record a podcast episode or to share one of their podcast episodes about how that works so um, I did want to preface that like I think many of us who would explore our gifts or who would like to share our gifts don't come forward simply because of the taboo simply because of the social stigma around that and one of the ways that I have um I want to say buttressed myself. <laughs> one of the ways that I have held up myself, one of the ways that I have known that I am still loved, that I am still safe, that I am protected, is because I take part in every month, twice a month, and then uh, once a week, every week, with the two um, glorious beings who are on the podcast today, I take part in women's circles. And yes, um, it is for, or the circles I participate in are specifically for uh, female identifying folks. And certainly the circle that you're going to hear today would be open to um, other identities and not exclusionary toward them. Uh, but the purpose of these circles is that we meet to be with each other in community and to give space to each other where we can, in our own sovereignty, process our emotions and receive group support around that and so you're saying like Emily you're going to group support classes where there's not a leader yes these are decentralized emotional support things and they're not classes they're meetings well also the thing that I love about them is that we really ground in you control 
um, how you're processing. And other people show up and uh, witness. And so it's a sacred and safe space where you can simply be. You can be sad if you want and it and nobody needs to change you out of being sad. You could be happy if you want and no one needs to change you out of being happy. You could look at a feeling of anger and turn it over and look at the sides of it and be witnessed in that. And you could even open it up and be like, um, I'm open to uh, thoughts that you all are hearing about my anger. I'm open to, we have processes in the circle that meets um, twice a month. We have particular processes that help us like go deeper within ourselves to create self-understanding. And because of this, I feel like profoundly held and supported by my community. And I know that there's always a community that I can go to and say, hey guys, Um, I'm getting ready to start a business. (laughs) I'm getting ready to start a podcast where I talk about taboo things. And I just need to know that no matter what I say, um, I can come here and know that I belong. Um, That I can come here and work through that. And then I can hear people say, yeah, um, we can see you. We can witness you in this. And it is really lovely. It's really, I can't even begin to describe how incredible and important it is for me to be seen that way and maybe you're also feeling this way so I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I also meet with my (laughs) I created a space like this for the um getting into it crew the monthly membership where we do have meetings where we allow ourselves to be witnessed and we allow for processing this one in particular is spiritual processing and um meditation sort of focused thing and not necessarily an emotion focused thing like the one that meets twice a month is for me and the one that meets with the two again wonderful humans on this podcast we meet like I said weekly and we span everything from supporting each other in our businesses to our life changes to holding space for our emotions to doing breath work together our container is what we needed to be when we needed to be what it is and because of this because we have this support we are comfortable moving forward knowing ourselves and moving forward in again taboo topics so consider this your official (laughs) trigger warning coming into this podcast coming into this interview we are going to be talking about uncomfortable things I um, believe that we have some talk about essay. We also have talk about abortion and we have talk about sex. So, and also community rejection and also fear. We're talking about some pretty intense topics. So if this podcast or this particular episode is not for you, feel free to skip it. That said, there are resources in the notes if you need them or want them. And without any further ado, here is our discussion on taboo. I am so excited to have you both here today. Woo! (laughs) Listeners, (laughs) this is a really special recording. It is actually a panel discussion on the topic of taboo and how that influences uh, how we approach our lives and how we approach our work. And I'm going to let each of the guests introduce themselves. So why don't we get started with Eva? Hey, everybody. <laughs> I'm Eva. <laughs> Hello, fellow panelists. Um, right now, I'm just a person floating out in the world, Hell you yeah. know, discovering things related to death 
psychedelics, sustainable fashion. I think that's an oxymoron, circular textile production. <laughs> um, and other things impossible and taboo. Love it. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having us, Emily. Yeah, thanks for being here. Funny. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Hi, beautiful and gorgeous humans. I'm so happy to be here with you. My name is Fanny, and I am an inner world Swiss knife explorer because I am a doctor, yoga teacher, and a sexotherapist as well. So here we are discussing the taboo of all that topics. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, everyone listening, hey, you know me. <laughs> I'm Emily. For those of you who might be tuning in for the first time, I am a former art professor and critical theories teacher, and I am now a um, intuitive practitioner and spirituality coach. So um, <laughs> let's just go ahead and get started. Does anyone kind of want to like talk about what they think of as taboo? And maybe how that is coming across in their work or how they how they are dealing with or rubbing up on that in their current lives. Oh, you want to go first? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I said I was exploring death and I suppose this interlinks with it. Um, I'm currently a abortion doula as well um, or abortion caretaker. Um, and I find it interesting that with some of my clients or the client that I have now and some people, you know, negotiating with me about what kind of care they're seeking, um, that abortion is taboo even within the community of people who support birthing people, you know, choosing when to or not to give birth. So I think that's very fascinating. Right now, that's kind of you know, where my microscope is, is in, in the abortion world. And so it's like a double layer of taboo. Uh, that's the first thing that came to mind. Fanny, I'd love to hear. I think that's, you know, interlinked with death and sex and other cool <laughs> taboo topics. So I feel like that interlinks with you well, Fanny. I have a really easy one first. To sexually reborn and enjoy the hell out of your beautiful life and have the ecstasy you deserve and that's your birthright. You may need to <laughs> overcome a small death of your conditioning, mm -hmm. <laughs> of your expectations, of society scrap, I think, <laughs> or something. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. so the topic of sex is, of course, taboo nowadays. We've been getting better at this, but there mm -hmm. are, I always like to think we've been better, we've been doing better in somewhat scientific or body related or physiology part of sex it's not taboo anymore to discuss in infections or pregnancy it's mm -hmm. it's less letting women be by themselves out of the woods without any education or information what we actually really lack and that is more taboo in my experience is um, sex education and pleasure, noticing yeah. how pleasure can be a whole portal to a lot of things, how you can transform your life from orgasm, how you can have the amazing <laughs> therapy saving insights <laughs> while you're yeah. self-pleasuring in anything. So, mm. and what's interesting with this, and I'll send you the mic to Emily after, just <laughs> after that. <laughs> Great. Is, is um, 
these pleasure learnings aren't, so we don't know them, but they are kind of taboo, I think, because it's not really well accepted in society. A, a woman who's like enjoying her full sexual self, mm-hmm. exploring or saying, hell no, I'm not doing this monogamous relationship thing because screw you, that doesn't re- resonate with who I am. No, I don't want any children because I'm focused on me and I don't need a child to realize myself (laughs) Mm -hmm. in it. So we released the superficial taboo and now we're getting to the deep core of it. (laughs) A hundred percent. I know I was reading something the other day, right? About how they didn't even used to include the clitoris as part of the female anatomy in like doctors' books and doctors' <laughs> educations, and like <laughs> it just wasn't even there. Yeah. <laughs> it is like wow, that's taboo. <laughs> yeah. Oof, yeah, yeah. It's there's like- some there's fascinating things with um, AFAB assigned female at birth history and um, just like feminine bodied intersections with the recent, I'll say, medical field, meaning, you know, 200, 300 years in the past until now, like looking up the uh, history of sex toys for women, like Uh the vibrator, is, you know, women getting uh, diagnosed with hysteria, which Mm -hmm. the root word is the same for hysterectomy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, related you know, based in the reproductive system. Okay, this woman is hysterical. We're going to send her to, I don't know if it was like an ob or what. Uh, funny, you actually probably have way more information on this as an MD, being that I have an engineering background, I clearly. <laughs> okay, let's not do that. This is for folklore. <laughs> this is a Zoom filled with fucking professionals. We have masters in here. Um, we have PhDs, we have MDs. What's up? 100%. And you know what? I've read a thing or two. So, you yeah. know, these these doctors, men, um, uh, you know, providing treatment for hysteria are giving a pelvic massage, mm-hmm. which is uh, a lovely, you know, professional sounding coded word for bringing these women to or- orgasm. <laughs> and um, they got tired. They got carpal tunnel. These doctors were like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and there came the vibrator. Yes. Taboo. And there we have, there we have it, our third taboo topic about mental health. Yep. How mm-hmm. sex issues and sexual mm-hmm. health is also related to your mental health. Yeah. Is mm-hmm. when things go wrong there or not as great as they can be. That really breaks a lot of things around you as well. (laughs) Uh, And we start heading Mm -hmm. in a strange direction when we talk about history because the discussions around consent and patients Mm -hmm. and doctors hasn't, yeah, I know. And what you all cannot see in this recording is Fanny making the the face. (laughs) (laughs) So we are going to acknowledge that that um, can be a very dark history. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I definitely feel like I, <laughs> the taboos that I deal with are a little less related to death and sex, although they still are kind of connected to a little bit of death in that 
uh, a lot of times when you're working in the spiritual world, people want mm. to discount you and they will do literally anything they can to not, mm. um, how do you say this, to not be open to your truths because they conflict with other truths that people hold. So um, doing things like past life readings can be really triggering for people mm. because you can't quote unquote prove it. And I feel like spirituality is in one of those like beautiful taboo areas of I can't prove this, but it holds capital T truth. And mm. so it can be really um, an interesting and strange zone to be in um, and to talk to people about. <laughs> But uh, mm. let's let's kind of um, jump into like what attracted you to this and what ways do you think dealing with this topic is healing uh, both for you and for other people so that people understand like, I mean, like why would someone want to uh, be an abortion doula or why would somebody mm. want to learn about past lives or talk about pleasure? I mean, that one should, should be an obvious, mm -hmm. but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And in there's like there's other there's other aspects that I'm also exploring like money and the level of debt that the average American has, um, how charged that is for us, how related to the feeling of debt, or at least the same level of fear, and how related to um, our sexuality and vivaciousness that's connected to. Um, as we're talking about taboo, I'm like oh, I guess I just I'm living one whole big taboo collage board <laughs> in my life. Yes. Um, you know, on top of that, like beginning to explore psychedelics on a cerebral and like studying level, yep. but then on an embodiment level with um, psilocybin cubensis. Um, and I, oh, why would people want to get started with this? Like my whole life is entirely different than it was three or four years ago before I started sitting with the harder things to sit with in myself mm -hmm. but when I say it's entirely different I mean I am living the life that my four-year-old self has has dreamed of and that by the time I got to 18 22 just thought that that was a, a dream I had to let go and that I had to function in a certain way as a feminine body person in capitalism to survive um, and I've been taking slow steps to do that uh, archaeology, you know, and picking off the dirt of my life to take a look at. It all started actually with embodiment practices. If anybody knows Rewilding by Sabrina Lynn Dominovsky, um, hour-long sessions of sounding and moving my body and feeling embarrassed that my roommates were hearing it but not caring anyway. <laughs> and yes. really like feeling, feeling systematically different feeling that my cellular memory had changed orientation had released um top memories and reshuffled um, other memories to the top to sort through um it started there and i couldn't stop because i was feeling like i was coming more and more home to myself i couldn't stop because i was at a baseline happier i couldn't stop because um i felt that i was understanding myself again for the first time since I was seven years old. Oh, I love that. That's what is on the other side of taboo. That thing that you reject mm -hmm. when you accept it, there's freedom there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I love that so much. Mm -hmm. Funny, 
what uh what brought you to uh pleasure work <laughs> first shout out to embodiment practices yes Dude, this is just amazing where where is just self-pleasuring or whatever you want <laughs> there is this thing in my personal stories this there is this thing about being disconnected from the body like I am archetypal with this I've always been the perfect student the perfect good girl not doing any waves during <laughs> my growing up or anything doing the good studies because you will have a, success, a successful life uh, if you get good mm -hmm. grades and if you study hard and yeah things going on and on and currently well apparently really well until I got a diagnosis of epilepsy so basically my body saying to my mind screw you you're not in charge anymore it's me <laughs> so with two epilepsy seizures I actually had to reconsider a lot of things realizing how my mind has used my body as a tool like forever <laughs> mm -hmm. so one thing to another I started with yoga and meditation just to get a sense of getting back into the body and then when you are here and you start to get back into the body somewhat, the next question is when you look at your health on a more holistic way of doing, there is also the sexuality part you cannot over overlook. And mm -hmm. I was one of the kind of people who could not have any pleasure on my own, even being terrified or shameful, just thinking about it mm -hmm. <laughs> it always had to be with a partner and that person giving pleasure to me so and I was like no there's something wrong there <laughs> yeah. I actually tend to live I, I think I have the right to live for to live for me right right <laughs> so mm -hmm. <laughs> let's explore that mm -hmm. I'm still in the middle part of taboo work personally like <laughs> the one when you just threw your hands in the mud and do the work yeah. <laughs> so, yeah the, the results of the lightning of working through the taboo has yet to be seen but the journey is really interesting there are so many insights my mind is really fond of wow that's why i did this and oh i saved myself so much therapy over there <laughs> yeah, mind. Saying it. i'm going to get back to the body thanks <laughs> uh and there's clearly, clearly I'm in the beginning of taboo work as well, um, because as everyone's talking, I'm realizing I didn't even get to the core of why I started taboo work. I was in a very scary relationship with alcohol um, for many, many years, probably five years total. And towards the end of that experience, sexual assault while intoxicated. And that brought uh, a feeling into my body, like a deep the deepest fear, the deepest shame, the deepest regret, the deepest wish I had done X, Y, Z differently to not get myself in these situations. Um, uh, I also had lied to my partner about it for fear of the part of me being intoxicated coming forward and came forward to my partner with the, the heaviness of the lack of truth being told and, and shared in our relationship. So lying, whoa, taboo. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but having all of that, I couldn't physically live in my body anymore, the way that I was, the way that I was going. And I remember the only salve or medicine that I saw to that was 
uh, while my body uh, a year or so after that rejected alcohol. I couldn't consume it anymore. I became allergic. Uh, secondly, uh, honesty with my partner. And third, um, discovering things that made me feel like a happy child again. I made a play space list of the things that I used to do for play when I was little. And one of the things was reading about the runes, R-U-N-E-S, and studying runes and drawing runes for divination. And that is what started the whole, you know, then going into embodiment practices and things like that. So it's funny how even when we're talking about this, there's suppressed memory or there's, um, you know, my mind not wanting to fully hug and like celebrate certain parts of my very taboo journey. Yeah, 100%. And we're also taught like, not to share that stuff. Because it's unacceptable mm -hmm. for you to accept yourself doing that stuff. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. oh. mm -hmm. and shitty as mm -hmm. women, because we're supposed there's this mother archetype that says we're supposed to give, 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 and essentially for free. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> I had this great mm -hmm. idea the other day um, about people being resistant to pay women for their work. Like, why is she charging so much? Why yeah. is she mm -hmm. doing that? Well, we go into the money, so that's also a little taboo. So not oh, really. Money is hundred percent taboo. But um, yeah. and the question that was asked uh, when I was looking at it was like, would you say the same the same thing to a man owning this business? Would you say to that man, you're charging too much? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you should be doing that for free. And that mm -hmm. was really interesting, also. A hundred percent. And putting, you know, like our our very individualist culture puts the onus on the individual, you know? For example, talking about being uh, in a very, very uh, problematic and addictive relationship with alcohol, um, we, it's so easy for people to hone in with the spotlight on the singular person as if we're not connected into a wide web of the enmeshment of culture that we're in, the genetics that I have for uh, mapping addiction from both sides. Thank God that I was, uh, like, I, it's a, miracle that I made it out alive without an addiction to something harder or just a lifelong addiction to alcohol. Um, so it's easy for us to, you know, individuate the problem. Problem. I don't, I don't necessarily want to say that, but it's easy to uh, shame people as we're taught to do that in an individualist culture. Yeah. And I, I think one of the bigger elements of taboo is that you're not allowed to talk about it, right? And mm -hmm. when you can't talk about it, you can't look at it. And when you can't look at it, you can't experience it or embody it or accept it. Mm -hmm. it, it has no way to transform. And mm -hmm. I, I like, I feel like that's kind of been a part of um, my journey. I came to spirituality because I broke my back. Um, and I was actually, mm -hmm. did, oh, maybe my journey does involve death. Like <laughs> they sit you down when you're about to have um, back surgery and they tell you, like, okay, for this part of your back, uh, a lot of times people will have the surgery and then things will get worse. <laughs> or, you know, you might die or this or that. Like, these are the chances of this. And I was in a place in my life where I like, number one, I didn't believe in like a spirit or soul. And I thought like the, the people who went and meditated and were like, love and light were crazy. I still think that, but <laughs> I'm one of them now. Um <laughs> Yeah, so listeners, you're not crazy if you like that. You're a good person. You're doing great. Good job. Um, but yeah, I, I finally went to a um, 
a past life counselor, actually, that one of my students had recommended to me. And then um, what she had honed in on with my breathing and how she taught me to connect to my breath and to use that to connect to my body and to make it safe in my body. Like in just the one hour session, that was like it. And I started taking classes for her and learning all the things that we're not allowed to teach kids either. Like the things that it is permissible or even possible for your consciousness to do, uh, the way that you can connect to spirit, the way that you can know things. And, and they kind of le led me down the road where, I mean, I even do a little bit of mediumship in my practice, but I don't, I don't talk about it. It's kind of still a taboo topic for me. This is my journey with the taboo because I don't want to deal with people's feelings about that. Like, I don't want them to come in hostile and me having to prove anything to them. It's easier for me if they come to me for something else and I say, oh, by the way, um, and I do evidential mediumship, which is different than like, oh, your, your father loves you and he just wants you to know you're doing great. It's like, no, your dad's coming through. This is a memory with you. He's sharing with me. This is what your house looks like right now. So, you know, I'm not like just making this up. Mm -hmm. Like you give evidence that you're connected to that person with things that you could not possibly know. And that is like a really sort of one, that's one of my taboos that I'm I'm currently working on accepting the fact that that is possible and then like being visible with it, like talking about it, and which is huge. Like that talking about the thing is a huge part of the taboo. And I think also when we do it, when we stand up and say like, I've had this experience and this is my truth, or uh, I'm able to, to see myself where I was with an addiction, or I'm able to see myself where I am with pleasure, and then also share that with someone is massively healing, not only for you, but also for the person who receives that. Mm -hmm. Because they finally know, oh my God, I'm not alone. <laughs> like, so when was like, I guess this is a question for you. When was like the first time you realized like, oh my God, there's a whole area here to explore and it's okay and safe for me to explore it. I go first. Is that? Is to think. Was that a bit, was yeah, that a big I'm, question? My bad. It was big. It was big. It was charged. The safe part is interesting. I'm. I was very lucky that at the time, uh, well, I didn't have any friends that were into the stuff I was into. Yeah. Uh, but the friends were very accepting. Um, didn't have any challenging questions. Challenging by by what I mean by that is. Um, assuming that I am making things up or assuming that I'm asking for attention and asking questions to find fault in what I'm doing. I just had friends that were like, he was witchy now <laughs> and that's cool. And then, you know, um, with uh, energetic reciprocity, asking me for um, insights on things or could you lead a full moon thing or, you know, th those sorts of things. Um, and so I think it was having people that I lived in close space with, not being judgmental. I, if they were judgmental, they didn't say it to my face. Um, there was an element of extreme courage because they were neutral about it. It wasn't like five people that I told close in my life just jumped on board with me and were like, we're gonna join you on this. It took a very <laughs> long time, even though I, I was in San Francisco at the time. I'm in Worcester, Massachusetts now. San Francisco is a hub for that. Eventually I found the witch's confluence and eventually I found um, stores in town or people in town to start commuting with, but it took years for that. 
and it took years of sifting through podcasts. Of course, the podcast that I started, it was podcasts, but the podcast that I started with, the more I listened, the more problematic they became. And so you, you know, you go through your whole cycle, you know, your yes. whole sloughing off or like, um, snake skin shedding of podcast <laughs> life where you start off with certain ones and then you're like going back to the love and light thing like oh, this is very bypassy and super racist moving on you know and so you start to uh queue up uh start to whittle down uh, a more specific community for yourself um and yeah I think the safety aspect of it actually wasn't there for a lot of the beginning of it but it felt necessary. So I went forward anyway. And um, now I'm in a partnership where the person really believes me in a, in a way where they're not kidding when, you know, I say something about a reading or something about a perception about a very near future or something like that. And that person takes me very seriously um, and really honors uh the power that I carry and the radiance that I carry and that when I do things that make me feel magical and make me feel um, in touch with my existence, I only become more radiant. I only become more glorious to that person. So certainly, um, you know, removing romantic connections as a, a not consensually non-monogamous person, uh, you can have multiple relationships should you choose and even just looking back to the summer of 2020 versus uh the relationship that i'm in now it's uh making sure that those people who are in your life daily um are not shaming you repressing you um and making you feel stupid and small for the things that make you feel the biggest and largest and most expansive and the most connected and most useful in this world love it Connie what about you with safety when did you feel safe to start exploring this I'm going to going to jump just right up about the shame because yeah what I have here is that the safety about exploring taboo is kind of a work in progress for me because of a lot of things especially because um where we live we have this um heaviness of the, the ordinal council of doctors and they are not really fond of you having um, another activity than your medical practice mm. and so I haven't declared my <laughs> sex coaching activity yet, yet. <laughs> so because there is this whole thing about safety and how actually doing that requires courage yep. and to get the courage you need to feel safe first and the thing is to feel safe you need to get back to the body because mm -hmm. this is your meat suit that's actually holding into you to earth <laughs> so first getting to the safety from with the body and it's actually really interesting because the more you explore depending on where you're coming from or going to um this is your safety net and it can totally get messed up by your mind. Like feeling disconnected again or going into your mind and just not doing anything, self-sabotaging. And the thing is, with this embodiment, it all started with this, as I stated earlier. 
But what really made me think there was something else about sexuality and uh, that kind of stuff. First, it was med school because there was something, something was wrong. Like I had to go into one of my training sessions as a resident somewhere. And so, well, you all know what happened behind closed doors in operating rooms or whatever. These policies are the sexiest, (laughs) but not in a good way, sexist. The, the most sexist places you can you can find and there's this thing the teacher I was studying studying under just asked a woman to you to put the speculum in her vagina herself and my whole world changed like wow you can actually have consent and the people can feel powerful and empowered by what you are doing this actually, I rang a bell from what happened a few years or um, before that there was a huge a huge media shitstorm about um a student in med school that wrote in the um, the essays and the essays getting public well where they should not and that person wrote like practic- um, practicing medical uh, examination while the patient was asleep she was getting a surgery for something and that student got told, Hey, practice your vaginal touching while she's asleep. She's mm-hmm. So there you feel your boundaries crossed <laughs> first and noticing that, yeah, you can empower women without you feeling less, basically like sharing the light of a candle when you share the light, your doesn't diminishes. And the other part that got me into this as well is that being good enough being worthy being all that kind of stuff doesn't rely on your external circumstances because you can have done everything that's good in your life and still feel pretty messed up still feel lonely lacking empty disconnected and waking up each morning and being like is this how life supposed to be me going through my day in a semi-conscious state of am I here or not here or do I even want to be here and so with me realizing all of this having done everything the good way quote-unquote good way really made me think that there was deeper exploration to do that and what better way to get back to your body than exploring and healing your sexuality because you're healing yourself and you're also you're also healing your with your mothers and sisters and friends and now I love discussing vibrators and glass dildo and crystal dildos (laughs) at work and I also love so much the embarrassed looks like are we really yeah we are talking about this this is amazing we should talk about this more (laughs) we are talking about crystal dildos (laughs) yes okay that has to be like a separate podcast The crystal dildo. Not because it's taboo, but because it deserves like an entire hour of discussion. <laughs> Let me tell you, yes. Yes. 
Yes. Yes. But actually, like, funny, you kind of brought me to the next question, which is an interesting point. Like, when you do step into the taboo, uh, whether it's, like, I'm going to tackle the topic of pleasure that nobody is comfortable talking about or the topic of money or I'm going to choose a life that isn't mainstream. Like, they say I should go this way and this is how you get success, but I'm not happy. So when I reject that, am I also rejecting the system that other people believe in? And then they react poorly to that, too. So... I'm kind of curious, like sort of what kind of quick examples you all have of um, moments where you are like, I hear somebody else uncomfortable with me and what I'm doing, and I am okay with them being uncomfortable because this is important enough to me that I want to explore it or do work in it or empower other people in it. Another big question. One there, yeah. if you want to give Eva the time to think for once. <laughs> <laughs> What's actually really interesting is um, I have two things in this. There is the part that when you do this, at least in my field, you notice how needed it is and how after the first awkward moment, people have so many questions and are really fond of these topics and really needing of being understood, of being heard, of being helped to reconnect to themselves. So that's the good reaction to this taboo works, saying that we actually need, <laughs> need it. The other thing is what I would call the conditioning reaction. You can have reactions from people it's less common in people our ages, but more with the older generation. Women in this generation have so much sex conditioning. We have yeah. a ton, but it's different mm -hmm. because we have to deal with patriarchy, patriarchy crap and everything. But this generation has, the first layer hasn't been removed. Like we know sex isn't bad, for them, it's not about being bad. It's about being even feasible, available, and pleasure being available and getting this superficial layer out first. And that's the conditioning of the society comes from everywhere from around you if you decide not to have a child or whatever. But there is also, also this reaction of your beloved one, your caring one, they project on you what they know about sexuality so if you're saying hey i'm gonna do this event to this uh, love store and then getting a, a love store so the, your your reputation is going to be crushed it's <laughs> such a bad idea for you don't do that <laughs> so, that's right? what i have <laughs> reputation I know. Uh, when I told my husband I was going to like open up and do like Reiki and readings for people, he was immediately like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and so was I, because I was like, how are people going to treat me after this? And yeah. there are some people who have been like legitimately hostile about it. Like they'll ask a question. Mm -hmm. And then it's so interesting because I had someone be real hostile with me once. And then they like booked a home clearing. And I was like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so like, then out of curiosity. Of all the energy I put in there before. They're I know. <laughs> <energy>. <laughs> you have to clear out my anger from your house. 
and they did have someone in their house, but it was, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, it was their father and it was appearing to their child and the child was having a response and I was able to like see all of this um, without even going to the house and talk them through it. And then at the end, they were like, how did you know that? And, and this is the part of the like taboo and the reactions for me, because I think a lot of people are curious about sex or uh, about death or about like afterlife or whatever spirituality. Um, but it, it like triggers a sense of judgment and a, a fear around like, you know, am I wrong? Is this wrong? Like what is even happening? And they project that on you. And then it's so curious when they then have the flop of like, holy shit, it's real. <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. And uh, this is how you make it so that your dad leaves your kid alone. <laughs> like, <laughs> just talk to him. Let him know you know he's there. There's nothing else in your house. Mm -hmm. Like, it's fine. But um, yeah, that's like kind of one of my uh, experiences with that. Uh, that I, concept of reputation um, and then being brave enough to be like, okay, I can be weird for other people. I can be someone that can receive their projection and know it's a projection and just be like, okay, it's fine. I don't know, Eva, if you have like experience with people projecting taboo on you or not that you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and certainly I over anticipated the amount people were going to project back to me. Um, I'm, certainly selective about who I tell what to. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, the conversation of being an abortion doula is not something I'll bring up to my parents, but the fact that I'm going into a death doula training uh, this summer is something I'll bring up. There's certain things that you know with the people who are closest with you, what, where you're willing to go, where, who's willing to come into your most vulnerable areas and who's not, especially when you're just beginning to work things out for yourself. Um, and I remember I went through engineering school. My dad is a water wastewater engineer. I worked with him for a little bit and said like, wow, my hero, your work is so cool. I still, I still think that I'm not being facetious. Um, worked in that for just under a decade and quit that job as, you know, I was like running big conferences in California and was the head of like a big recycled water project out there. Um, project manager, like I was moving in the direction that, you know, my father would look and be like, so proud. And yeah. my friends would be like, that's so rad. The, the story of it was cool. But as Tani was referring to before, you wake up semi-conscious and wondering, is this all there is to live for? I thought that the story that I was putting together was going to be rad. And it was rad for someone else, just not for me. Um, so as I started, you know, sewing and weaving other things into my life, I became more open about things. Um, for example, my interest in um, spirits and, you know, showing, showing when I moved back in with my parents, um, showing them surviving death on Netflix. And then my dad, who I just described to you as a very like straight laced engineer, starts telling me all of these stories about his communication with spirits. And all it took was <laughs> us having this like, you know, sitting over a, a movie that we both agreed we wanted to watch together to open up that conversation of his childhood and all throughout his adulthood. And oh yeah, one time I was with you and your, you know, your mother's father was with us. And I just couldn't believe it. I thought we were going to end that movie 
And I was kind of, you know, that get feeling flushed feeling where you, you know, that you're going to have an awkward conversation. I thought my dad was gonna be like, that's a load of bullshit. <laughs> instead, <laughs> instead he spoke to me about being a little baby medium. So that's interesting also to bring things up, you know, like bring taboo. Up out of, yes. You're yes. not allowed and to say you talk to <laughs> invisible people. I, I hear voices. Especially, <laughs> especially not in the roles that you assume in society. I think a lot of people believe that there are things you're allowed to do and things you're not allowed to do, ways you're allowed to dress, ways you're not allowed to dress and all that. Uh, so there's certainly an archetype that he's taken on that, that doesn't allow the breathing room for other parts of who he, who he really is. Um, I was at like a family hike and told some people um, that I was training to become a deaf doula. And a lot of people in their sixties came up to me and I thought it was going to be like, you're going to ruin your life. Like you need mm -hmm. to have a stable job. Their reactions were that is so needed. Like, here's my story, yep. you know? So yeah. I think that funny is, uh, there's very much elements of, uh, I don't think that I, uh, was drawn to do these things three, four years ago when I was becoming interested in this world, because I didn't have the inner stability to have conversations. If people were going to project their stuff back to me, um, I needed to be at this point where I was certain enough about myself, certain enough about my interests, certain enough, um, in a practiced way of showing up in circles like this or, or bigger spaces and watching that my presence really makes an impact in these ways as an abortion doula or, you know, in, in all these other ways, like actually seeing that I'm better at this than I ever was as an engineer, even though I was fine at it. Um, so it takes a level of like confidence building, slow going for me to be willing to put myself out there to have the possibility of somebody coming and attacking me. Um, but certainly, you know, as you can all tell, abortion space is always going to have um, very, very tricky conversations that surround it. Um, and I end up, I'm not really interested in participating in the increasing duality or polarity that we have in our world. And so sometimes I work at Trader Joe's part-time now, and sometimes people will come through my line and ask me, say certain things or ask me things. And it's a great practice in saying, oh, tell me more about that. Or that's interesting. Why do you think that? And yeah. sometimes people through just through that question realize that they just said it as they recorded that when they were very young and they were just pressing play and they don't have their own personal connection to that uh, belief or that response. Um, and sometimes they'll step out of, step away from and rephrase or, you know, take a totally different side. Sometimes they just simply realize they don't have a reason for backing that up. Um, and so I think it's, it's a great space for us to be humane to one another and ask in sincerity, like, I don't think you're stupid. So, you know, I believe you to be somebody who probably has a, a conscience and wants the best for your family in the world. Tell me, tell me more about that. Why do you think that way? So I think that's probably my, my one response when people shoot their stuff back in my direction as a way to not absorb it. <laughs> awesome. So if you had any advice for someone who is maybe struggling with the concept of taboo or getting ready to step into a taboo um, uh, learning experience or a taboo career, what kind of advice would you offer them? I'm 
the first step at. Go with your body. Start with embodiment mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. See mm-hmm. in your body if that's true or not. If it is really a taboo calling or if it's just a rejection of everything you have done. Start with mm-hmm. the body. And um, the usual advice you get that really pisses me and everyone else off it's about the journey, not the destination, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, that moto sucks as hell, but it's still true. <laughs> I, uh, there's a rephrase that is like process over progress, yeah. which is equally, can be equally as like car bumper stickery. Yeah. But it's a little bit better. <laughs> not better, but it's a little bit newer. So we haven't, you know heard it so many times 100% funny I was about to say the same thing um there I was going to say believe yourself over other people but that's that's vague and so what I really meant to say was find out where in your body the word the answer yes comes from and where in your body the answer no comes from and the way you can start this is being in a like you know, sensory deprived area, turn the lights off in your bathroom while you're showering (laughs) and um, ask a real, a question, you know, the answer yet, do I live at this address? And you know, that's your address. Feel where in your body lights up, tingles. That's, that's what happens for me. Other people might, you know, feel heat. It's all different for everybody. And then ask an answer, you know, the answer is no to, you know, am I still dating? fill in the name of your ex and some part of your body will light up that's different from the yes and you will be able to make decisions that make your wildest dreams come true when you answer from your body Bonnie yeah I also have one last it's it actually goes on with your yes and no feeling in the body it's about finding the right person to talk to like the not as a such as a mentor or whatever but someone you can talk to you can look at their journey or whatever whatever speaks to you but also realizing your journey is yours maybe nobody has done what you're trying to do and not losing yourself into the multiple voice you can hear especially the loud the loudest (laughs) and being sure that um multiplying the sources of information, multiplying the mentors, multiplying the therapies, multiplying the ideas might not be the best way to help yourself. Taboo is hard and interesting and it's in you. So (laughs) totally. Ah, this was so beautiful. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for being willing to come talk about taboo, your relationship to taboo and how it affects uh, the work that you do. For listeners out there who have heard this conversation, I even mentioned it, but the three of us are in sort of like a a group together. We meet once a week and have moments where we can have conversations like this and just hear each other. We don't really give advice. We're just present for the things that are going on in each other's lives. And that is like super awesome for what you're talking about funny uh where you're charting your own path and so other advice isn't going to work (laughs) and that is also like part of the taboo right since we don't talk about it we don't like share it there aren't other paths that are illuminated for us and why i think it's so important to talk about taboo topics so we know okay 
hey, this exists. I'm not weird. I'm not alone. And this is awesome. So thank you again. Thank you. Thank you again, Eva and Fanny, for this amazing interview. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. I so appreciate you being here and being part of these discussions. If you would like more resources, they can be found in the show notes. And also, if this feels like something that is super nurturing and something that you want to take part in, please do come check out the Getting Into It community. And or if you want to support ideas and voices like this, the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast has a Patreon, and I would love and appreciate to see you there. Have a good day, and don't be afraid to be a little taboo. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sacred Adventure Begin. If you feel inspired by these conversations, please consider joining us on Patreon and supporting the podcast. Your donations help keep us up and running and start at just $2 a month. Patrons now get additional episodes of the podcast as well as art images and readings at a super affordable monthly rate, and I would love to personally welcome you into that community. Special thanks and shout out to all the Patreon members who are currently out there and all of the donations Sacred Adventure Begin has received to date. It has been such a pleasure supporting you and helping you focus in on the truth, meaning, and wisdom that can be found in our lives and experiences. Thank you too for everyone out there listening. Know that I am sending you so much love, so much awareness, and so much self-acceptance at whatever stage in your journey you find yourself on today.